want to spend a little more time on it. It's 2 Kings chapter number 4. And take some notes, write down some thoughts, jot down a few ideas, because I would love to have some good conversation about this passage. It's a really fun passage of Scripture. It starts with a sad story, and then it ends, it ends with an amazing miracle. All right, so it starts with a sad story, ends with an amazing miracle. Take your Bibles, open to 2 Kings chapter number four. Now, before we get started, I do want to just give everybody an update on B. Atherton. She is still hospitalized. Um, she's in stable condition, but still in very serious condition. So we're going to spend some time in prayer for B. this morning. And as the whole church gathers uh, for the main worship service today, we're going to spend some time in prayer for her. But how could you pray specifically? Specifically, while they have they have been able to stop the source of the problem, um, she was she had to be intubated and put on a ventilator, and so she's they're working on getting her off, getting her breathing on her own, and uh, they tried to do it yesterday. They took her off a little bit, but her breathing was not strong enough on her own. So she is going to they're going to try again. I think you said on Monday, Jim. So try again in money. So pray for pray for B, and pray for Jim. Pray for Becky and the family as well, as it's just been a really really difficult week. So maybe praying for her. And then Sarah, how's your dad doing? He's home now, right? Okay. Good. So Bill went in. Bill Varno went in. Not as serious of a situation, but but they took care of him, and he was in the hospital for what three three days, something like that. So, but he's home. So we praise the Lord for that. So why don't we do it? Why don't we just pray now for, um, especially for B, and uh, just ask God to give her healing and strength. And I'm going to ask if um, Brother Ken, would you would you lift up B in prayer for us this morning? Dear Lord, uh, as the song says, "You're good and gracious King." Lord, I do come to you today. We as a church come to you today, Lord, asking you to hear our prayer, forgive our sin. Lord, I ask that you be with me, be with Jim, family, daughter. God, I just pray that you comfort them all. I pray that they will be all in there. Breathing will be great in one day. Lord, you're a God that can uh, do all things. Lord, we do pray that you be with her, be with the family. Lord, be with us as a church today. I pray that you be with the preacher this morning. Lord, give them just what we need to hear. We sure do love you, and we thank you for all things. Be with us in our praise service. Lord, I pray that it is uplifting to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, so 2 Kings chapter number 4. Hopefully everybody's had an opportunity to get there. 2 Kings chapter 4 starts with a very sad story, ends with a pretty cool miracle. And what I want to talk to you, I've titled this lesson this morning, Buckets of Faith. Buckets of Faith. So... Here we go. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets. Does anybody know who the sons of the prophets were? I mean, we're kind of just jumping into the middle of this whole era and epoch of Bible history. What are these sons of the prophets? Anybody have an idea? Sons of the prophets? You could be like, well, their fathers may have been prophets. You could try that. Really, 
what the sons of the prophets were, it was like the prophets in training. These men would, so Elijah and Elisha, these two, they were like the lead head prophets, and they would have these young men that would travel with them learning the prophetic office, and God used a lot of prophets to to speak to Israel. And this was at a period of time when Israel was not following God with their whole heart. And so God used these prophets. And so these men had dedicated their lives. They dedicated their lives to the service of God. And in many ways, they had dedicated their lives to their master, Elisha, the one who they were following. And so what happens is we come now to this verse and this poor woman is crying and she cries out unto Elisha. There are two great prophets in this era of the kings. One we find was Elijah, and then one was Elisha. He was the follower of Elijah. So Elisha is the main prophet on the scene, and she cries to him, and she says, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. Now, widowhood is a difficulty in every time. And the Bible actually speaks about how the church is to care for widows and orphans. But widow, widowhood, while it, it's always a tragedy and a trial, in this day and age it was particularly devastating. Because that was the means of provision. The husband, there's no life insurance, there's no opportunity for her livelihood. She's in a very bad place, but it gets worse because not only did her husband die, but he hadn't managed the finances particularly well. And when he dies, he leaves her with a debt. She owes a significant debt. He hasn't managed the finances very well, so now there's this debt. And he, So it says, thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. Now, you're familiar with the repo man, are you not? Hopefully, you've never had any encounters with the repo man. But if you had, we won't judge, but we also won't ask you to raise your hand. If you've had encounters with a repossession. Has anybody ever known anyone that was in the repo line of work? Anybody? <laughs> You got a few out there. Typically, typically not guys that would give you the warm fuzzies. So the repo men, so now they'll, today they're going to come and take your car. They're going to take whatever they can. But here, the guy is literally knocking on the door and he says, pay your debt. And she says, got no money. She, and he says, you got two sons. I'll be back. I'll be back. And if you don't have the money, if you don't have the money, I'm going to take your two boys. So, all humor aside, this is a woman in a very difficult predicament. And she's, in, she's crying out. I mean, she's crying out in desperation. And she's crying out to the only person that she can think of that will help her. And she goes to Elisha and she says, Elisha, what are you going to do? And Elisha, I believe, senses a, has a sense of responsibility. After all, this was one of his protégés. This is one of his trainees. 
one of his disciples, and he's dead, and now this is the, the, the poor wife and her sons. And we don't know how Elijah prays or if God just instantly gives Elisha. I keep saying Elijah. I apologize. It's Elisha. We don't know if God just instantly gives Elisha the, uh, the news or Elijah seeks the Lord. Either way, Elisha says in verse number two, and Elisha said unto her, what shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? What have you got? The lady's like, oh, she looks around. Old Mother Hubbard is kind of like her M.O. in her house. And she doesn't find much, except there's just this little pot of oil. Now, when you think of the oil, this is like, this is olive oil. Very valuable because of its usefulness. It was used in all kinds of things. Valuable because of its usefulness. Value because of the effort that has to go in creating it. It's used for cooking. It's used for anointing. It's used for cleaning. It's used for all. It, it was a staple, and it had value. Two things that you read about in scriptures that have value as physical things, other than like gold and silver, one would be wine and one would be oil. But she's down to her last little pot of oil. We've seen a story similar to this with Elijah before. In 1 Kings chapter, I think, 17 it was. She says, this is all I've got. I've got a little pot of oil. Then he said, go, borrow the vessels. And just for fun, for the title, I'm calling them buckets. Go get some pots. Go get some buckets from all your neighbors. I mean, just go to everybody you know, and I want you to get, get as many as you can. And he says, and then what you're going to do, you're going to come in the house, you're going to get in the room, you're going to shut the door upon you and on your sons, and you are going to pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So interesting here, a couple of things I want you to notice first of all. Obviously, Elisha is telling this woman that if you want God to show up in your life, if you want God to move, you need to have faith. You need to believe. Now, faith is believing what is true, though I don't yet see it. A lot of people will say, well, just faith in the unknown or faith in the unseen. Well, yes, it is faith in the unseen, but it is faith, it is confidence that what is today unseen will tomorrow be seen and be real. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But there's a substance to it. Sub substance to it. Faith, whenever it is that we need, we, are, we come from a place of desperation, faith begins with obedience. God, notice that this woman is told to do something. There's several cases in the Bible, there's several um, accounts in the scriptures where people come to God with a need and God says, well, this is what I want you to do. In fact, in this same era of the kings, there was a Syrian king that came. And the Syrian king, um, Naaman, did I get it right? Is that his name? You're like, I don't know. Yeah, Naaman, I think was his name. The Syrian king comes and he's got leprosy. 
and he says, I want to be healed. I want to be healed. And the prophet tells him that he's got to do what? Go down where? Into the Jordan River and dip. I think it's, I didn't review the story, seven times in the water. Now, you'd be like, hey, if you had a big need, if you had a great need and you, you were asking God to work in your heart, you've got the need, you would think that because you came and because you, because you were desperate, that whatever that the word of the Lord says, you would think that the person would do what? Just do it. After all, you've got nothing to lose. Now, that's exactly what this woman does. She doesn't question. She doesn't say, well, get all these pots. Okay, but God, I could, Elijah, I could think of a better way. Elijah, I could think of a better way for you to provide for me. Right? Like, like this would be a whole lot easier if I didn't have to go out and gather up all these pots, gather up all these buckets. If, what, why don't you just send the money? But isn't it interesting that often God asks us to do so, asks us to step out in obedience. Be obedient. Back to the other story of the guy who, he's got leprosy, and they said, you need to go wash in the Jordan River. Anybody know what that guy said right off the bat? What? Yeah, he's like, Ugh, that river? You want me to do that? And then he said, back, in, uh, back where I come from, we've got way better rivers. Our rivers are bigger, they're cleaner, they're just better. And I think it was the, the, his little servant girl who brought him there in the first place. She's like, um, maybe you should just listen to what the prophet said. Maybe you should just obey. But honestly, is, are these people much different than how you and I are a lot of times? It's like sometimes we just need somebody to come up alongside us and say, hey, maybe you should just do what it says. You know? Maybe you should just, and, and you know, sometimes the things, in, I, and I've just observed that sometimes the way that you see God move in your life is just to do the simple steps of obedience. Hey, how about you just read the scriptures? Hey, how about you just a attend the church services? Hey, how about you just do that? You know what I mean? Like this, the Bible is just filled with simple commands, and sometimes we are looking for something big and great and outstanding, and God is going to do that. God's going to come through with a miracle, but at first it begins with just a simple step of obedience, right? Jesus did the same thing with some of his miracles. Anybody remember like some, some, some strange ones where he told people, any ideas, any thoughts on that? Deborah, what was that? Yeah, the blind man, but the mud, it's worse than the mud on the eyes, though. Yeah, he spits, he makes some mud, and he puts it on his, the eyes. At any moment, like, but I think you and I, we, we are, we're selfish, right? Let's just face it. And we also are self-confident. And don't you and I devise better ways in our mind for God to show up in our life? Right? Like, I know that I'm just, you know, day after day just supposed to be faithful, but I really think it would be better, God, if you would just arrange the circumstances this way. But sometimes, I think it was, you know, it was on Saturday night of our missions conference when Bob DeWitt was preaching. It really reminded me of this. And he was just, I forget exactly what he was saying, but he talked about, he was just talking about living by faith. And sometimes living by faith is doing the basic thing every day, every week, 
every month, every year, for a long time. A long time. And a lot of a lot of times people you've heard it said that the Christian life isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. And sometimes we just have to believe. Now, for this woman, she's told, go gather up all these pots. But for us, it's sometimes it's just be faithful, do the things each and every day that God has asked you to do. We've just got to believe that God's promise is there. But I've observed a lot of Christians go strong for the Lord and then and then just pull back, step back. And you know what? Faithfulness is measured over time and it's obedience. Faith, in this case, faith starts with obedience for this lady. But then also, once you notice this, faith takes action and effort. Faith takes action and effort. So look what happens. So, verse number five. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon all her sons who what? Who brought the vessels to her who brought the vessels to her. Now, what we don't have in the story, what we don't have in the story is what obviously happened is the boys going out and doing what? Getting all the buckets, getting all the pots. And so they're like, so she comes, I, I think what happens is this is a woman of action. Elisha says, you, this is what you need to do. And she's like, okay, I came. After all, I'm the one who came asking God to do something. If this is what God said to do, I'm going to do it. And she immediately takes, she immediately takes action. And she goes to her sons and she says, boys, are you ready? What are we going to do, mom? We're going to go out there. God's going to meet our need. Well, how's he going to do it? You're going to go and you're going to pick up all the pots. Go get them. Well, what do you mean? I want you to go over to, uh, to visit Joab's house and Miss Miss Sarah and Miss Rachel and Miss Rebecca and and, uh, and and old Joseph over Joseph's house. Yep, you're going to go to him too. You're going to knock on his door. You're going to ask him for some buckets. Ask him for some pots. Get some vessels. And those boys go out. You ever been? Uh, you talk about door to door. Anybody ever gone door to door? It's a little intimidating, right? And so it's like, yes, young man. How can I help you today? I am here collecting pots. Well, what are you going to do with the pots? Not 100% sure, but the Lord said we needed the pots. Now, they might have gone a little bit deeper, and some people might have said, "Well, and I don't know, you, you, you just please don't look down your nose, your theological nose at me. I'm just, kinda, I'm just kind of imagining how this could have gone, okay? So they knock on the doors, and they come, and they're like, well, what are you going to do with the pots? Well, we're going to fill the pots with oil. And they look. And these boys have got a cart full of pots. Like, where are you getting all the oil? Not really sure. We've got this one little one at home, and mom said that the prophet said to get as many as we could find. And so I don't know how much convincing they had to do, how much prying, how much salesmanship was involved in securing all of these vessels, but they go around. And they get pot after pot after pot, bucket after bucket, vessel, big ones, small ones, round ones, stout ones, whatever, you know. And they get as many pots as they can possibly carry. And they bring them home. I just imagine these boys in their cart full of pots. You know, it, the Lord asked them to get involved, to spend some time, some action, and some effort. 
And I just want to, just, just some simple lessons I get from this story. The Christian life, a lot of times seeing God move in our life, it, he is asking us to put forth some effort in the process. Now, he's going to still do something that he gets all the glory for. He's going to still do something that we can't take any credit for. But in the meantime, God, God moves in the lives of people who are in action. I read something recently. You look at, or no, this was a video going around Facebook. And it was a preacher. He was saying that you look at all of the disciples that Jesus called, all of the people that God moved in their life, you will find they were all active doing something. God has created us to be involved, to, to put some effort forth in our life. Paul would, Paul would encourage the um, Galatian church, and he would say, be not weary in what? In well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap if you what? That implies, obviously, that the church, the people in the church, would be active, engaged in doing. And that they would be so engaged that it would be up to a point of what? Be not weary in well-doing. Their engagement was so intense that they were at the risk of growing what? Weary. Weary. <laughs> I didn't hear what it was. That's okay. So... These boys are out there. They're getting busy for their mom. They're getting busy in, the, in what God has called them to do. Faith takes action and energy. And now, thirdly, so faith starts with obedience. Faith takes action. Thirdly, faith is exciting. I want to tell you something. It is a lot of, a lot of Christians, they, there's, there's no excitement and energy and joy in their Christian life. Because, you know what I've observed a lot of times? For a lot of people, their, their Christian life is just about what they can take, or maybe some people, they just want to receive. Other people, they're in a place where their Christian life is just about the, their moral code that they live by. But God has designed a life for us where we see Him working actively in our lives. Listen, if you will, me and one of the brothers in here, we've been talking about how to, how to make an impact with some people and how to reach some people with the gospel. You know what? Faith, it is exciting when you are involved in, get, in stepping out by faith and telling somebody about Jesus. There's an excitement that comes with it. And if you have become, if you have grown a soured disposition in your Christian life, does that ever happen to Christians? Have you ever met any soured Christians? If you are growing sour, maybe you've stopped living by faith and getting out there and getting involved and seeing God do something. So these boys, they get all the vessels. And now here's where the excitement comes. There's, there's obedience, there's action and effort, and now there's some excitement. So verse 5, she went from him. She gets the boys in the room. She shuts the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her. Good job, guys. And she what? She poured out. She poured out. I will never forget. This was probably one. I, I heard some great sermons in college. Some great sermons in college. And, but this passage, Pastor Jim Shetler, this is, I just remembered this. 
because he had such fun with it. I don't remember his points, but I'm basically preaching his message right now. And so he just imagined, and he had such a great imagination. I loved him. And he put us in a room. You're in the room with, you're in the room with that mama and her two sons. And she says, all right, guys. Here goes. And she says, bring me a bucket. Bring me a pot. She brings the pot. She brings the, the boy brings the pot. And what she do? She takes everything that's in that little one. Pulls it out. I, I'd be a little stingy if it was me, right? I'd be like, yeah, a little more, a little more. Still there. And she pours a little more and a little more. And then all of a sudden, this her, her, her little boy is holding this pot, and he's like, it's full. You can't fit anymore. And now she's like, bring me another one. And so they bring another one over here. Now she's just, she's a little less timid, you know? And she's like, oh, it's still there. And I just imagine, again, forgive me if I'm going, you know, beyond the text here, but she's like, she's like, hey, bring me another one. And by the end, I don't, I wouldn't be like this. She's just like pouring it out, dumping it in, filling up pot after pot. Can you imagine the laughter that would have happened in that room? I mean, now maybe you imagine Bible characters with like halos, like a 1960s Jesus movie. You know what I'm talking about? Right? Maybe you imagine Bible characters like that. But I think they were flesh and blood like you and me. Right? And so if it were me, I'd be a little excited at this point. And I'd be just looking, I'm surrounded, I'm on the floor in a room full of buckets that are foot filled with oil. And I'm just like, bring me another one, bring me another one, bring me another one. And mom and sons are laughing, they're rejoicing, they're excited about what God is doing. Boy, listen, if a, a, sometimes we as a church, we need God to just breathe in a little revival of faith in our lives, don't you think? Like sometimes we just need to say, God, I, this culture, this world might be beating you, me down, and I feel like, who are we? We're just so little. All we've got is just this, this, here we are in this building. Sometimes it feels like we've just got our little pot of oil right here. And God says, I'm going to take that. I'm going to multiply it. I'm going to do something with it. And if we would just get obedient, if we would just get active, if we would just, just say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. Boy, there would be a joy and a laughter and enthusiasm about the work of God. If you're kind of bored with your Christian life, I talked to the, some, I, at first I said if you're a little sour, but now maybe if you're a little bored, maybe you say, God, show me where you want me to step out by faith. Because that's where the action happens. That's where the excitement happens. So there they are, bucket after bucket after bucket. I mean, just buckets full of their faith vi visibly around them. And she says, boys, bring me another bucket. And they said, Mom, that was the last one. And the preacher made this point. And I know it's not the primary point of the passage, but I think it's a, a good thought. He said, I wonder if they thought, I wish we got more buckets. I wish if they had known, if they had known what God was going to do at the end, do you think they might have got more buckets? If they could have envisioned, if they could have visualized that thing just gushing with oil and everything around, 
if they could have seen what God was willing to do, do you think I wouldn't have, if it were me, if I had known, I wouldn't have just, now, now listen, as they say, kudos to them for obedience. God did a miracle. But boy, if they had known what God was about to do, I wouldn't have just borrowed a bucket. I'd have borrowed carts and wagons and helpers and volunteers. And I would have said, come on. Nope. They said, don't you have enough? Nope. Could always use more buckets. Could always use a few more. My last thought is this. Faith, we said it starts with obedience. It takes action. It can be exciting. But faith, the potential, faith's potential is only limited by whom? By us. By us. I just have a feeling. And I think no matter how much faith you have, I think there's, there's never enough. And thankfully, God said, with just a grain of mustard seed, you could, of faith, you could move a mountain. But sometimes I fear that when we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, God is going to say, you know what? If you had just given me that bucket over there, I would have done so much more with it. If you would have just surrendered this part, if you would have stepped out by faith in this way, this is what could have been accomplished. I believe with all my heart, and, I'm, and this is convicting to me as well, that when it comes to a family, when it comes to an individual life, when it comes to a church, when it comes to the mission, that God is looking for people that will just be fully surrendered and fully sold out and say, God, I'm going to bring you everything I can find, everything I can scrounge up. I'm going to dedicate every part of my life. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to watch what you can do with it. But I think sometimes we are the ones that limit what God wants to do in our lives. Do you think that? That sometimes that we limit what God would want to accomplish in us and through us? In what ways? Do you have any thoughts on that? In what ways do we sometimes say, you know what? We're, we are, we, I've been, I can, I'm, in this area, I'm limiting what God is doing in my life or wants to do. Anybody think of any examples where it's not God, but it's us? I know it's a little bit hard to imagine because we are, we are thinking about what has not yet come to pass. What could come to pass? Any thoughts on that in, in ways that we, 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 come up short in faith when God says, I could have done so much more. Yeah, Terry. I think a lot of all for me is, uh, and what you said, um, it's what we want. Like, just, you know, we, we come to think sometimes, a lot of times, what we want in life. And we think that it's up to ourselves to do it. Right. When in all actuality, it's Him that is have to have that faith to know that no matter which if he makes any turns or any detours it may not be what you think it is but that's what it is that's actually a really good point i think there's i think you had two pretty interesting insights there the first one i'm going to try to make sure i remember them the first one was i think it starts with the wrong question sometimes and that question is a lot of us just ask even subconsciously what do i want out of life Right? We at, that's really 
a lot of times that's what we start with. What do I want out of my life? How do I want my family to be? How do I want my career to be? How do I want my living? And, and there's nothing wrong with planning and dreaming and all of that, but if we start with the question of what do I want, that's automatically limiting, automatically limits us. Whereas if we said, what does God want? Boy, that could open a whole new thing. And then I think the second thing that I got from what you said is when God changes the direction. When God puts something in our path to change our direction, like for instance, this lady, we didn't even talk about that at the beginning. She didn't plan to be widowed with two young boys. When God redirects our life, and sometimes in unpleasant ways, do we in full faith lean into that? Or do we shut down? And I've observed, and, and, and you know what, sometimes it can even happen in my life, I've seen it in other people's lives, where things aren't going how we thought. They're not going how we expected. And we don't like de depart from the faith. It's not that we say, well, I give up on this whole thing. But we just, it's almost like we give God the silent treatment. And we're just like, well, we wouldn't say it out loud. It's like, well, I didn't think this is how it was going to go. So you know what? I'm just going to step back and observe for a little while. And God says every redirection is an opportunity. God is moving us in a direction. And sometimes it's in uncomfortable ways. But his movement in our lives is directing us toward a new adventure of faith. Will we lean in? Will we lean away? I think one of the most powerful examples of this is Corey Ten Boom. How, how, Corey Ten Boom, how many of you have read the story or you're familiar with the story of her life? Remarkable how in the most intense suffering, in the most intense suffering, she fully threw herself in faith in the arms of God. And then he took her life in an amazing trajectory. He used her. I'd think of Elizabeth Elliot. How many of you know the story of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot? Serving God, this is 1950, mid-1950s, serving God in Ecuador with an unreached tribe. Elizabeth and Jim and their friends have planned for this their whole lives. They're young in their mid-20s and they're excited. And her husband and companions are murdered on the first encounter. And that's the end. But Elizabeth leans into God's redirection. And you, she could have stepped back and said, well, I guess that's how God... You know, I guess God closed it, and now what will I do? She went on to write books, speak, influence multiple generations, and she only passed away just a couple of years ago. It was an amazing legacy. Why? The redirection. She said, God, how are you going to use this? What are you going to do? And that doesn't mean that it didn't mean it was instant or flippant. There's struggles. I understand that. But God, but God was still at work. So yeah, I think those, thanks for sharing that because I think those are two ways, where we start and then when we're redirected. Any other thoughts people have on how we limit, how we, we, we could be like, boy, I wish I had brought more pots. I wish I had, I, I wish I had surrendered more. Yes. That's a good point. So, um, Major said, uh, Major said, when we sin, that's limiting what God wants to do in our life. And that's a, but that's a really good point because we have we come to these choices in our life. 
Will I choose to please myself with this sin? Or will I believe that God has something better in store for my life? Yeah, a lot of people are limited. A lot of people are limited. I think another thing, though, is self-doubt. You know, you don't have to raise your hand, but just inside, how many of you have faced some self-doubt in your life? Like, boy, who am I? I could never, I could never be that. I could never do that. I could never do any of these things. Well, faith isn't about self. It's about what he can do through us if we're yielded. We're just the pots. We're just the vessels. So sometimes we're limited, but we think, well, my education, my background, my this. You know, the great evangelist D.L. Moody, he grew up just about an hour away from here in Northfield, Massachusetts. Had very, very minimal education. Almost, barely none at all. They said that when D.L. Moody, there's no recordings of him. He died just, just a little too soon before we could have any recordings of him at the end of the 19th century. And D.L. Moody, who just shook a generation for Christ with very little education, no formal training, they said that when he would preach, he would pronounce the word Jerusalem as if it were two syllables. You know, he was not an eloquent man in that. And I've always racked my brain with that. Like, well, how in the world did that come out in two syllables? Jerusalem? I, I don't know. Anyway, but God used him. And he started by just saying, you know what? In the city of Chicago, there's some hurting children. There's some, there's some abandoned children that people don't care about. And he's like, get me a wagon. And he started the first bus ministry. And he took a wagon, and he picked up all the boys and girls in the slums of Chicago, and he started giving them the gospel. He got involved. He act, I mean, what a great example of everything we looked at. He took action. He said, God, here, here are my, here's my vessel. What are you going to do with it? And from there, he preached all over the continent. He preached in Europe. Started a Bible, the Moody Bible Institute, which continues to train ministry people to this very day. God used just a simple country boy from Northfield, Massachusetts. Why? Because he said, God, take what I have. Use it. So my encouragement to you is this. The Christian life, now I know, there are some mundane things. God calls us to be faithful. But it also, it should be a life of joy, enthusiasm, excitement, energy, activity, as we see God moving in our lives, moving in our church. And he wants to give us buckets full of faith. He wants us to bring our buckets full of faith, and he'll fill them with his grace. So I love that story from 2 Kings chapter 4, and uh, thanks for sticking with me for that. Let's pray, and we will get ready for our worship service. Lord, we love you and thank you that you, you make up for all of our deficiencies exponentially. Lord, we have nothing to bring but just our empty selves, but help us to give them to you unreservedly in full surrender and full faith and full obedience. We pray, Lord, that you'd meet with us in the next, in just a little while as we prepare for worship. Pray that our hearts and minds would be drawn to you to give you honor and give you glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, if you've placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at or send us a message on Facebook. 
You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.